to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot, save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six ends remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. This is war to extermination. Fight cell by cell through bodies and mind screens of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug. Flesh shuddering from the ovens. Prisoners of the earth come out. Storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shift linguals, free doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room, towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, bound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off, back, return to base immediately. Ride music beam back to base. Stay out of that time, Black. All pilots, ride pan pipes back to base. Difficult listening. 24 hours a day. It's WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Well, uh, good evening. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Oh, well, kind of an interesting week. I guess we'll start out with a brain damage or two. Uh, Karzai, I'm not too sure where he's coming at with this. Uh, Boy, he was on my list as well. Yeah, Lord. I real, I, you know, and it's interesting that Chuck Hagel kind of took it all in stride. Uh, he, of course, was doing his sort of initial tour of uh, the area. And uh, to kind of claim that we're backing the Taliban or allied with the Taliban in some way or fashion is fairly an outrageous claim. Uh, Hegel sort of brushed it off as, as he put it, I was a politician. So um, he, and, and probably, saying that for yeah. domestic political purposes. Right, for domestic consumption, as they say. It's sort of political grandstanding. Uh, but it is entirely absurd on its face to say that, that the New York Times phrasing of it in their headline is Afghan leader says U.S. abets Taliban's goal. Um, which is a, quote, unstable Afghanistan. Right. Which, and, of course, as we've maintained down here for years on Gray Matters, uh, Afghanistan is sort of an, a country by default. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, surrounded by, it's highly mountainous. It's uh, still a heavily tribal uh, in uh, culture. Linguistically, there are about uh, 12 to 15 different linguistic groups mm -hmm. uh, scattered throughout. Um, it's always going to be unstable because one slope 
doesn't even speak the same language as folks on the other side of the same hill. Yeah, and it's it doesn't have borders as as we in the West recognize quote borders. There's no Rio Grande. There's no uh, English Channel, whatever you want right. to call it. Uh, it's it's a sort of fictitious nation state. Uh, always has been, and of course because it's of its geographic location. Uh, amidst uh, India, Pakistan, China, Iran, uh, and of course, uh, former Soviet uh, Islamic states, which is actually the explanation for why the Soviet Union went into Afghanistan right. in December of 79. Historical facts show that the United States, in fact, in 1979, before the Soviets actually invaded, they, were, of course, were propping up... Uh, a sort of coalition communist government at the time was really connected to the Iranian revolution and the fact mm -hmm. that they feared the spread of Islamic fundamentalism into their uh, precarious uh, uh, rule of their so-called Muslim states, uh, the largest of which is probably Kazakhstan and uh, the other stands of the world, uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, etc. And, of course, those ethnic... Uh, tribal uh, parts of Afghanistan is what makes it so difficult to uh, control. And obviously, um, I've been of the opinion that we should hasten our withdrawal from Afghanistan as quickly as possible. And based on these comments by uh, Karzai, uh, Hegel might just as easily have said, oh, really? Um, okay, well, goodbye then. Yeah. Um, no good deed goes unpunished. That's right. Uh, be sure and write. <laughs> And let us know how it all works out, because uh, clearly you have a plan. To the extent that any good deeds are occurring in that region of the right. world, because the violence is, uh, is uh, alarming. And, of course, the Taliban in Pakistan um, very heavily destabilized Pakistan. Um, and drone attacks, which, uh, of course, were in the news this week because of Rand Paul, uh, a fascinating uh, filibuster. I'll give him credit for at least uh, doing the talking for 12 hours or whatever it was. Apparently, he fell short of the Strom Thurmond filibuster against civil rights. But uh, I thought his point overall was sort of bizarre. Um, and I think that the argument about the drone policy is still somewhat uh, incoherent. Um, to my knowledge, there's only been one American killed with a drone that was targeted, and that's on our al-Awlaki in Yemen. Um, I'm relatively convinced, uh, after all the reading about 9-11 that I've done, that he was uh, peripherally involved, if not directly involved, in the 9-11 attack. It's fascinating that a couple of days after 9-11, he uh, gave a... Um, sermon, I guess is the way I'll call it, in the National Cathedral, invited by President George W. Bush. Yep, right up there on Washington Street, uh, Wisconsin Street in yeah, D.C. As part of the um, reconciliation, which I think Bush's objectives with that um, uh, religious reconciliation was, uh, was probably one of the better things he ever did during his presidency. But uh, Ansar al-Awlaki moved with two of the hijackers from San Diego to the northern Virginia area. Shortly after 9-11 and after delivering this sermon 
he went to London, England, uh, in order to obtain a visa to go to Yemen, because you cannot, as an American, get a visa very easily to go to Yemen. Uh, they're just not granted. And he spewed American anti-American propaganda, which, um, in essence, I mean, that's that's a sort of renunciation of his citizenship. Yeah, and as people have pointed out on your argue. on your passport, you um, you actually pretty much promise not to do that. Right. Ezra Pound, uh, the famous avant-garde 20th century poet, was jailed after World War II for broadcasting pro-Italian fascist propaganda on the radio uh, while he lived in Europe. Uh, there are some interesting loopholes in his stay at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, which was sort of a mental hospital, which allowed him far greater freedom of movement than uh, should have occurred. Um, uh, we down here, and I think that there are all kinds of reasons to criticize the United States, but what I called knee-jerk anti-American propaganda on behalf of al-Qaeda is uh, crossed the line. His son was killed in Yemen a couple of weeks later, but there's no evidence that he was deliberately targeted. And the notion that Americans would be targeted by drones here in the United States seems a little far-fetched. Oh, it's very far-fetched, and it's funny to see, you know, those on the right wing who are taking advantage of this opportunity to sort of gangpile on Obama for this. You know, Americans will be attacked. Where were those people when uh, Black Panther Fred Hampton was gunned down in his bed by local law enforcement authorities in Chicago back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s there? Well, of course, they were fine with that. Uh, and it's fascinating where even there's a discussion about the so-called lack of due process in which you're shot. Um, what about the thousands of Americans that are shot without the uh, due process right to law yeah. at, a, at a broader level? John McCain, of course, critiqued Rand Paul, uh, and his uh, quote is uh, interesting. He said, uh, John McCain, uh, the Huffington Post reported, dismissed Mr. Paul and other critics of drones as the, war as the wacko birds on the right and left that get the media microphone. <laughs> uh, wacko birds? Where did he come up with that one? Has he been playing Angry Bird on his <laughs> cell phone? <laughs> Uh, I don't know that they're wacko birds. I think that there are legitimate policy issues that should be discussed about the drone policy because obviously it's uh, the future of war, as they say, and it needs to be uh, discussed openly, and Congress certainly has a role in that uh, constitutional duty that they failed uh, to uh, um, exercise in quite some time. Uh, dr the drone policy in and of itself, of course, has escalated numerically under Obama, but it uh, has been quite clear from all of the so-called post-attack studies that uh, the number of, quote, innocent victims has dropped considerably, uh, percentage-wise. And uh, more discussion of the drone policy is appropriate. It strikes me, however, it's probably preferable to use drones in the uh, so-called uh, northwestern territories of Afghanistan, Pakistan, Waziristan, South Waziristan, mm -hmm. etc., than having thousands of troops on the ground where the United States is spending $400 per gallon for gasoline in that area uh, to operate um, 
Lots and lots of armored vehicles and heavy equipment and machinery. Yeah. And uh, to very little uh, net gain. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of heavy psychic uh, cost uh, on the men who are stationed there, and I suppose women too, if uh, a greater number there, I don't know. But uh, I've mentioned before a former student of mine who served briefly in Afghanistan described to me the anxiety level that you wake up to face every day. Uh with you know all this high elevation looking down at you you're vulnerable uh, almost everywhere you go yeah there's and, no uh, those like, guys come back uh extremely exhausted from that there's no battlefront in fact you actually have to think of the the, the battle zone as almost a uh, half a sphere it's it's almost yeah. three-dimensional it's not even 360 exactly it's actually half of a uh, sphere uh an half orb um it's just too much to bear. It's too much to bear, and it's fascinating, by the way, that the uh, military in recent uh, months apparently has awarded medals to um, drone pilots, uh, these people that operate remote control, um, drone control, uh, I think from the comfort of uh, T Tampa, Florida. And, in fact, there's, there's even been some um, uh, military research uh, into PSTD uh, that uh, drone pilots suffer from PSTD. Well, I mean, there's a logical uh, extension of uh, the video game industry yeah. on one level, too. Um, but, uh, no, this is, uh, this is just more uh, chin music. So, anyway, uh, Rand Paul got his... Uh, <clears throat> 12 hours of fame and uh, a letter. <laughs> and this, of course, this filibuster was actually a legitimate talking filibuster uh, in response to the uh, CIA uh, appointment of John Brennan. Uh, he was still appointed, but uh, I guess Ron Paul made a point or two. But um, I think they some of the points got lost in the hoopla about which side are you on. Because once again, I think that the drone policy is not a black and white question, but a gray matter. <laughs> Indeed. Well, still no Pope. Yeah, well, the... There's no hurry. They may as well take their time and get it right. I think the last one was a bit of a botch job. Um, I think that there's a, a lot of good reason to hope uh, that the <clears throat> Canadian Cardinal will be selected, Mark Ouellet. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons for that, uh, but I think the other, most likely, uh, the smart money would go with the uh, Brazilian uh, candidate, who actually is of German descent. Uh, Scherer is the last name, but he born and raised in Brazil. Um, that's where the church is growing. Uh, and for those people out there who might be thinking, well, the church is a corrupt institution, monolithic and archaic, uh, it's amazing the vast power uh, that the Roman Catholic Church still wields culturally and even politically. Um, so it actually is a, a, a matter of serious concern who the next pope may be. Yeah, and it's interesting that the sort of the smart money says that it, the American, the Americans that are, quote, in contention are not really in contention because the uh, Vatican sort of views America as too powerful already and... Uh, you know, we're the president of the World Bank, and obviously the president of the Federal Reserve is called the second most powerful man in the world, right. or woman, uh, although I don't think there have been any women appointed to that position. Uh, obviously, Or to Pope, for that matter. No. <laughs> 
I think they have a, a little... briefly Pope Joan. Uh, that's that's a medieval thing and uh, pretty much apocryphal. Well, and it's fa- it's fascinating that the last pope to resign apparently was some sort of an ascetic guy that went and slept on rocks for five months and decided he wasn't up for the day job. <laughs> I forget his name. It wasn't Bud. Was Bud it? the Spud. <laughs> and he's from Prince Edward Island. That's right. Oh, we may as well mention uh, Stompin' Tom <laughs> Connors. Of course, a lot of musical tributes to him on CBN over the weekend. The great uh, Canadian country folk singer, uh, Bud the Spud, the, the potato song. Potato, however he says it. And uh, the good old hockey game, uh, classic songs from... Uh, the late great Stompin' Tom Connor. Yeah, very interesting. I should have brought his obituary in because the uh, New York Times gave some details about the fact that he penned 300 songs, and it also discussed about his, you know, wearing the flag on his shirt mm-hmm. that he had actually retired from uh, recording and whatnot for quite some time. Uh, as he put it, he was very disenchanted with the Canadian border jumpers, as the New York Times put it, and he uh, lamented the fact that there were these Canadian songwriters that were writing ballads about Albania, as he put it. Um, he wore his uh, nationalism on his sleeve, but I think if you're an aspiring songwriter out there, uh, he's one of the best. Uh, he's got that ability to tell a story in simple language that's got a ring of poetry to it it's not precise rhyming in all instances but uh the tribute that tex Mannheim gave yeah it was excellent to stomp and tom on uh, the down home show this past uh, saturday was was uh an example of why wcbn stands out as a public radio station i did hear tributes to tom stomp and tom on um both the world and even national public radio, uh, because it was fascinating that the Canadian Parliament actually sang Bud the Spud. Really? Wow. This apparently can be seen on YouTube. There you go. And you can find a bunch of stomping. I'm just sort of reciting uh, some of the things I've heard over the past, past week on the matter. You can find some of his songs. Uh, in a in a CBC tribute that you can find on cbc.ca on the web if you so desire but i would look at those lyrics uh the the interesting combination of using historical events to write these sorts of ballads and as i would like to call them sort of ribald sea shanties uh mucktuck annie i mean that is just <laughs> You can just picture the fact that you're, you know, in a in a in a, in a bar having brewskis, and apparently uh, Tom uh, imbibed quite a bit in the brand called Moosehead, uh, an outstanding Canadian lager I <clears throat> can attest to. Um, that that, it, that it's great that he was a real person, you know, that he talked about as as the obituary put it, uh, ordinary Joes, truck drivers, waitresses, whatever. And he acquired so much of his experience from hitchhiking around Canada. Legging it, yeah. So that his songs have this ability to take a sort of a a place, a a geographical town that either exists or one hopes it exists. Representative of something, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And he's able to kind of incorporate this into a kind of a simple, you know, 
you know, the set and the voice, of course, is exceedingly unique. Um, but uh, yeah, to hear the CBN tribute uh, on the Down Home Show this past Saturday was was a wonderful experience. Um, I think Tex must have played it at least a dozen of Tom's uh, body of works, and uh, hopefully they'll live on. And it's interesting that the hockey song is is uh, played uh, in Detroit apparently frequently yeah pretty regular at uh at games they said in uh, toronto the obituary noted that uh the night they announced that he he died wednesday night um that um <clears throat> everybody stood up and sang the hockey night song well uh another death of note of course last week was hugo chavez oh yes uh chavez and chavista uh, obviously, somewhat strange that uh, he's apparently going to be embalmed. Yeah, that, that's Lennon. <laughs> that's an unfortunate move, I yeah, think. I, um, I think so. When you try to make uh, someone's legacy, you know, hang off of their, in you know, interred corpse, uh, then you reveal the absurdity of the situation. I mean, yeah. you can't find char- Lennon was charismatic. His corpse is not. You know, it doesn't no. really do anybody any good to have Lenin's corpse on display. Uh, certainly, uh, Soviet communism was was not any the better for it. Um, and of course, Lenin's return to, to Russia in the midst of World War One is fascinating in and of itself because of, obviously the Germans probably uh, did it deliberately. Oh yeah, they were uh, <laughs> happy to facilitate that move. Yes. In other words, uh, he was a communist that they weren't uh, <clears throat> too averse to allowing back into the Soviet Union. Right. Because, of course, he'd been a ag- uh, revolutionary agitator for uh, most of his life. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the embalming is a, is a very unfortunate event. And I wanted to give, uh, on the other hand, a brain damage award to um, Congressman uh, uh, Ross Lo- uh, Layton of Florida. She, of course, is a huge anti-Castro person. And she criticized the fact that the United States sent a delegation uh, to attend the funeral. A minor delegation, one American congressman uh, from New York named Meek, and a former uh, uh, congressman, uh, William Delahunt of Massachusetts, were basically our official representatives. I'd like to point out to uh, Elena Rosloyaton that the United States still imports about a million barrels of oil a day from Venezuela, and that this oil flow continued despite all of the sort of farcical American, anti-American rhetoric. We have normalized relations with them. Yeah. And most of their governments uh, in the past have been, uh, dare I say it, right wing. Um, Chavez was obviously a departure from the past. And I think that he, on the one hand, obviously he did make a a huge commitment to the poor, uh, gave away quite a bit of uh, Venezuelan aid uh, to a regional places like Haiti and Cuba, Ecuador, and of course he sort of led a kind of, uh, you know, sort of superficial anti-Yankee imperialist uh, movement that spread around South America, which I think is part of his legacy. However, on the other side, he went too far with his anti-American rhetoric at times and almost became a farce, Um, probably very ill-advised to associate oneself with um, Abinijad, for instance. Right. And he apparently was at the funeral. 
But the United States must send delegations to these sorts of uh, incidents um, for obvious reasons. Um, there's no shame in honoring uh, the fact that he uh, won elections uh, in Venezuela. And by all accounts, uh, from the Carter Center, for instance, these were fair and free, uh, that the United States did in 2002 attempt to overthrow him briefly. Uh, and he resumed power after uh, things uh, didn't work out for the Bush administration. And that indeed, uh, when he first attempted a coup as a young uh, colonel or whatever he was, a lieutenant, I don't even remember his rank at the time, uh, he took the advice to stand down. And as he put it, we'll wait our turn. Um, so his, his legacy is complicated, but, uh, you know, mixed. And I'm not too sure about the embalming thing. That's just too weird. That that gets you into the cult of personality right. where you might not want to be. No, I mean, I mean, look at the leaders who received that treatment. It's Mao. It's Lenin. Um, Jeremy Bentham. <laughs> not a political leader, but uh, head of a university and uh, founder of the somewhat twisted philosophy of utilitarianism. Uh, looks like we're coming near the top of the hour, and so we'd like to remind you that uh, after Gray Matters, Yazoo City Calling, of course, uh, we'll take the airwaves. Next Monday will uh, be the day before the 51st Ann Arbor Film Festival, and at that time I'm going to make a few recommendations for specific programs that listeners might want to check out at this year's film festival. Always plenty to see and lots to think about at the Ann Arbor Film Festival. Um, and so we can look forward to that next week. But I'll mention quickly, because uh, we've been very concerned with things Nixon uh, in this anniversary year of uh, it's a busy month, 40 years ago, for old Tricky Dick as the uh, uh, material is hitting the fan, so to speak. But on Sunday, March 24th, the final day of uh, this year's film festival, there is a feature in competition uh, entitled Our Nixon. And this features a Super 8 home movie footage shot by Haldeman, Ehrlichman, and Dwight Chapin. Seized by the FBI during the uh, Watergate investigation, filed away and forgotten for almost 40 years. Uh, this film, Our Nixon, is an all-archival documentary presenting these home movies for the first time, along with other rare footage, creating an intimate and complex portrait, my favorite kind, uh, of the Nixon presidency, and there's a very good chance that uh, Dick and myself will have a chance to interview uh, that filmmaker, and uh, if we are able to do that, you will hear it here, either on this program or some other point during the festival uh, here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Well, I certainly hope so, and what's interesting about Dwight Chapin was that he had a peripheral role in Watergate, but his biggest claim to fame, if you're sort of a Nixon scholar like I am sort of an amateur Nixon scholar, I'm much more of an expert on John F. Kennedy and FDR, uh, but I, I would say Nixon amazingly ranks third <laughs> in terms of the number of books sure. I've read. Yeah. Books I've read. Well, uh, he's fascinating, as we've, we've mentioned so many times, well, so he, many reasons. When, when he died, there, you know, there were many uh, tributes to him that said that he was the most important politi American politician of the second half of the 20th century, uh, and that argument can be made simply because of his role in the rise of anti-communism 
uh, his sort of imprecise role as vice president under Dwight Eisenhower, who at times was uh, suffering from ill effects from heart uh, mm-hmm. disease and, uh, in fact, I think had two heart attacks while president, mild ones, but uh, Nixon probably played a much bigger role in some of the National Security Council deliberations than uh, we've been led to believe or know about. Um, And then, of course, he became president, and he ran in the famous 1960 uh, election that, of course, changed uh, presidential elections forever with the televised debates and whatnot. But uh, Dwight Chapin, real quickly, (laughs) was Nixon. He was an assistant, uh, basically, to Haldeman, I think he was even brought into the administration by Haldeman, and he worked on appointments. And he's the one that scheduled the famous meeting between Elvis Presley oh, that's right. and Richard Nixon, where Elvis had come in, hey, I want my DEA, my, DEA, my honorary DEA badge. Can you, can you get me one? <laughs> the kids will trust me. <laughs> and Nixon... Of course, a sucker for anything to get votes decided that posing in a picture with Elvis would be a good idea. <laughs> and the picture of Nixon and Elvis is one of the most famous in American history. Yeah, it's truly classic. Why it hasn't graced a uh, WCBN or a Gray Matters uh, shirt or mug, I'm not quite sure. We'll have to get on to that sometime. <laughs> Elvis is a little more than stoned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's heavily medicated. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the transcripts of that visit are very funny to read because a couple of interesting things are, uh, you know, revealed. Uh, First of all, uh, even though they've already broken up, uh, Elvis sort of fingers the Beatles as a bad influence on American youth. They've already disbanded. Uh, but of course, that's playing to Richard Nixon because he yeah. always had John Lennon on his enemies list, um, which is a unique distinction. John Lennon's uh, FBI file, by the way, his big time FBI file, by the way, started uh, shortly after the Chrysler Arena concert. Exactly. The Free right John Sinclair yep. yeah. concert at Chrysler Arena. Yep. So uh, lots of bizarre things there. And of course, after Elvis leaves, the. the Everybody in the office kind of scratches their head going, wow, uh, that was weird, <laughs> to say the least. Because <laughs> Elvis was a little out of it, and he was asking for something that they really had no uh, real wish to grant him. I mean, they're not going to make him an honorary DE agent. They, if they'd searched him, he probably was packed with pills at that moment anyway. Yeah, under the... Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Nick. Under the per- prescription name of uh, Uncle Tom, <laughs> wasn't that a, a Colonel Tom? Colonel, Colonel, Colonel Tom. Tom Parker, yeah. Not to be confused with Stompin' Tom. <laughs> By the way, I wanted to thank Andrew once again for engineering this evening here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Uh, Yazoo City will be co- uh, coming up shortly, but uh, yeah, no that that movie. I'm looking forward to that uh, simply because Haldeman and Ehrlichman, of course, were known as the German shepherds. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> Ehrlichman was a little more involved in the actual Watergate uh, details than Haldeman. Haldeman, of course, was Nixon's chief of staff who met with him pretty much daily to <laughs> plan things and tell him what to do and uh, what what uh, is involved. But, of course, the most famous cover-up conversations uh, involving Nixon are with Haldeman. But uh, Ehrlichman 
was his uh, advisor on domestic issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, of course, worked uh, heavily in the original plan that got Nixon into trouble, which was the Houston plan, which was developed in 1970, in which Nixon